God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Everyone, welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thanks a lot for being here. I've got another great guest on tap today. We're going to talk about God. That's what we do here. Let's get into it. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Ronald Peterson to the show. Dr. Ronald Peterson is a retired OBGYN from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he practiced for 40 years and delivered between 5,000 and 6,000 babies. His father was a Lutheran pastor whose religious focus was missionary work, bringing gospel to new neighborhoods. Ronald and I are meeting each other for the first time today, but he's the father to a dear friend of mine, Amy, and I'm thrilled that he's here to share his story with me. Welcome, Dr. Peterson. Thank you, Nick. Pleasure Uh, to be here. It's a pleasure having you. I was really excited when Amy reached out to me that she thought that you might be interested. It's a really, uh, it's a new experience for me because the show is relatively new, um, but I haven't had an opportunity to kind of, one, only one other person I've had on the show that I've never met before. And, Always risky. Yeah, right. Well, you know, actually, those are the most fun because I have, I get to, I mean, every question is new to me, so, uh, or every answer at least. Um, so that's really fun. And and I just, I, you know, you're, uh, you're coming from an occupation that I, 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 you have a totally different perspective than I'm used to. So I'm excited to get to talk to you. Good. Um, just a couple of things. You're uh, an avid lover of history. Uh, we were talking a little bit about this before. I didn't mention this to you, but I have a bachelor's degree in history as well as theater. So um, you and I share that love of history. And uh, you're a dedicated gardener. Right. Now, do you have a... Like how much land do you have to garden? It's a small plot. Yeah. So, which is good because it's all filled with flowers. Okay, good. Oh, I didn't know. You're not vegetables. I'm not vegetables. It's okay, just so you're into flowers. So I have clematis and... Uh, do you ever... Are you one of those guys that will clip the flowers and put them in your house? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Because some people don't. No. So. I, you know, my wife forces me to do Okay. <laughs> if, if you could choose, though, you'd leave them on the on Probably. The okay. Probably. <laughs> Well, that's really fun. Uh, all right, good. That's just a little teeny tiny yes. thing that I get to I get to uh, needle into. Okay, so before we get into all the backstory and history stuff, it's very important for me to always know what you ate for breakfast this morning. Well, we're staying at the Hyatt place. Oh, okay. And we I had a great Midwest American meal with scrambled eggs, bacon, potatoes, grapefruit juice. Oh, and English muffin. Oh, I love an English muffin. <laughs> I love the grapefruit juice. I feel like that's a really nice curveball. Not everybody chooses grapefruit. A lot of orange out there. Yep. You know? That's right. Uh, But grapefruit's very uh, unsung. It's an unsung hero of the juices. That's right. Two big tall glasses. Okay. Oh, oh, you spurt, you, uh, because they don't refill those for free, you know. Oh, no, no, they do at the the hotel. It's a buffet. It's a buffet at the hotel, right. You can eat as much as you (laughs) want. That's why. That's why you got to, because if you had to pay for it at a restaurant, it'd be $5 a piece. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Okay. Very good. Well, Ron, let's just jump in because there's lots of fun stuff to talk about here. Uh, the, the show always kicks off with this question, how and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Well, I sort of grew up with God. Yes. In that, uh, you know, with my dad being a pastor, my, my dad met my mother at, in northern Wisconsin at his first parish. Where in northern Wisconsin? There was a little town called Ogema, O-G-E-M-A. So my wife is from outside of Green Bay. Okay. So she's from a little town on the way to Door County called Dykesville. Okay. Which, uh, of yeah. course, is rampant. So she's with a Packer jokes. fan. 
She's, so she's a Packer fan. Yes. Is that near any of that? Is it near Appleton? It's in Price County. No, it's in central Wisconsin. Central. So it's south of Appleton, south of Green. It's in no, between. No, it's, 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 uh, it, it's on Highway 13. Okay. And, I, some of this stuff I don't know. Right. About. It's in central Wisconsin. And he actually, there were three parishes. Ogama was where he lived. And then there was Prentice, which was about eight miles north. And Westboro, which is about six or seven miles south. Okay. And so he would have to do three sermons in a morning and run in a 1948 whatever car he had oh, wow. between the three uh, congregations to make three different services. So he was a busy guy. So one of the things that we I, I sort of teased at the beginning of the show and what you were kind of helping me understand is he was a – he was kind of a – so he's a missionary pastor. He was – I mean, this this guy was a very proactive religious leader in the community. I mean, he was starting religious communities, essentially. He did subsequently. This was his first parish. How young is he at this time? Uh, I mean, you're, you're not he, born was he yet. 20, was he about 24? You know, it was during, during World War II, and so they accelerated the seminaries a little bit so that he actually got out a, maybe a year ahead of time. Huh. And they, they accelerated the seminaries. Well, Why be, are they accelerating Well, them? because the... The, the churches didn't have pastors to fill the pulpits. Because the pastors are going to war? Could be. Wow. wow. And so my mother was uh, a schoolteacher, uh, daughter of a banker, and her house was, oh, just down the street from the parsonage. And so he'd walk Hold on, by. define parsonage again, remember? Parsonage is where the preacher lives. Okay, yeah, yeah. So okay. the church... I'm Catholic, the, so the, I like the, these the, words yeah. are not the same. Well, so the church generally owns... A home for the pastor, at least they did in those days. Sure. And so this was the parsonage, and so he'd walk by my mother every day, and she'd try to be out, I think, at the same time. And so there was a romance that eventually uh, occurred, and so they were married in uh, June of 1944, which is about a year after after they... After he arrived there. Right, or, or, right. And, so so, they, and so he's 25 at that time right. or something, and then she, how old was she? She younger than him? Uh, she born, uh, she, yeah, he was born in 1920. She was in 1923. So, so she was uh, like 20 or 21. 22, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool. Because um, I think it was 1945 they got married and, in June, if I remember right. So he grew up in Illinois. And then does that mean that like his his um, congregation, where he is at in Illinois, sort of, you know, he, or no, he grows up in the seminary and the church then, the organization so he up, sends he, him up there. So he grew up on a farm. Okay. Just outside of uh, Rock Island in uh, in Illinois, okay. which is right where the Mississippi and the Rock uh, joined, and near a town called Andover. Okay. And his uh, mother and dad owned a farm there, and he grew up there with his brother Ken, who was, uh, you know, working in Knoxville, Tennessee, actually on the atomic bomb. So I mean, oh these my were these gosh, were you know, wow. and what was, a time! It was what well, was a time of rationing, and for example, my dad. Had special ration cards because he was a farmer, which was a, which was they needed gasoline to produce crops for the troops and so on and so forth. So sometimes when he was a pastor, he would get extra ration cards. The, the seminary professors would ask him, "Could you give me another ration card for?" Wow. So, so but wow. they were interesting times, wow. to say the least. Yeah, right. And so his first call then, when he completed the you know his degree, was to this northern Wisconsin town. All these are Swedish. This is Augustana, which is a Swedish Lutheran um, church at that time. Would he have spoken Swedish? He was, he was the first pastor in Ogoma that did not speak Swedish. Okay, so he was like, he's... So his, he's a groundbreaker. Your grandparents, did your grandparents, uh, were they born in Sweden? Uh, my 
My mother's uh, father was born in Sweden. He came over at age 16. Okay. And his wife was there, but her parents had been born in Sweden. Yeah. Uh, the town where, um, you know... This is similar to my great-grandparents' story, so which the, is Italian, the, the, but it's... The, the town where they grew up, the Sioux Line, which is the train, was a lumber train. And, and um, you know, it was a busy, growing community at that time, which was quite vibrant. My grandfather, my mother's dad, was the banker. Uh, and the bank was just down the street, of course. and and uh, you know he was sort of, and he was on the church board and so on and so forth. He was right. he was a big fisherman, which is I eventually assumed his luck, and you know to to fish, which I love to do. Yeah, so. beautiful. Well, you're in such a beautiful part of the country yeah. for fishing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is a man who. So your father, your father doesn't come from a line of religious seekers. No, he he has an epiphany kind of as a young man. Well, my grandmother, his mother, was quite religious. Okay, and uh, she, you know, my grandfather who died at age fifty-two of asthma. Um, wow! Right, right. I mean, so, that's the sort of thing that could so kill the you grandma back. really ran the farm. She was somebody who was a clear-headed business thinker and very faithful and an active member of the church in Orion and and probably was the uh, impetus for him going to the seminary. Yeah. In fact, she had me pegged for the seminary when I was growing up. But. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, we'll hear more about that. I, I had to disappoint her, but anyway. Uh, yes, well, I uh, I understand. So when do you enter in then? So like, where does, where does, what's your father's story? So then, and then I was, and how many I was, siblings do you have? And yeah, so I was born in 1947. Okay. So, so not long after they're married. So you, after, you're the eldest then. I'm the oldest. Okay. Uh, my brother uh, followed it uh, 11 months later in 1948. Not wasting any time. And um, <laughs> so, you know, and I was very close to my grandparents. Of course, my grandfather, they're right down the street, you know, and, you know, I can remember those those times, but I can't remember any necessarily God then, but mm, it, yeah. at, at, uh, you know, it, with having a, a new marriage, eventually he had to, he had to move out of town. And so then he was called to a, a new parish that they were starting in Gary, Indiana. And so I do have memories of moving to Gary. Gary so you're born in Wisconsin. Born in Wisconsin. And, and one thing I forgot to say is your mother, your, your mother was the organist. Well, she played piano. Oh, she played piano. And she, but she organ as well. Okay. And, you know, in those days, everybody played piano. I guess I didn't know that. Yeah, well, at least in these small towns. Yeah, like everybody just, like, that was the thing well, everybody was, taught everybody. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, my aunt. That was your played, music education. Well, was that, was, piano that was something education. girls did. My, my, How interesting. My aunt, my grandmother in Illinois' sister was a piano teacher, for example. And, I mean, hold the I don't want to derail this, but that's amazing. Are you saying that basically like one of the things that was just kind of culturally normal is that a young girl's education would include piano education? Yeah. Like every girl. And I don't know about of, I don't know about that. But, but in this but in, in our but, family. Yeah. But but we're like it's relatively common. Right. It's not like today where you go in and you're like, there's twenty instruments right. here, pick which one you want. It's kinda of like we've got a piano, you're gonna learn how to play the piano. Right. Okay, wow. So your mother was also very faithful and was well, she, yeah, she dovetailed was. her work with your father's work. Right. She was very supportive. Yeah. And then would also participate in the, ser right. she in was, the services you know, because she, she was singing. A, she and, was a, a high school teacher, 
of business education at the Prentice High School. Right, okay. And, which, and so that's how they met. And then, you know, again, after a few years, they moved to Gary and were called to this new yes. parish. And it was the pastor who uh, was the head of the church down in, of a church in Gary had had my father as an intern in Kansas City. So that's how he knew he, who he was and so on and so forth. So then they moved down to Gary. And it was... The new church was uh, just south of the U.S. Steel Steel Mills on 11th Avenue. Okay. In uh, in Gary. I love that. Anybody that is from Gary or has been to Gary that knows this, I love that they can picture this. I'm just sort of like putting right. this all basically in Omaha. You know, like I'm right. like oh, I know where 11th is in Omaha, and I basically know what this town would have looked like back then. When it was it was, uh, and there were not a lot of Swedish Lutherans there. Okay. So the, most so we- of, most of the people there were Catholic and Southern European. So were there other Lutherans, but not Swedish Lutherans? Yes. And was it at that time you Swedish Lutherans wouldn't have felt super comfortable no, with other no, Lutherans? No, they, 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 that was not an issue at that point. So they could have they could have oh, been yeah. a part right, of the other right. Lutheran churches. Absolutely. But he was like, we've got our own style, and it's well. It's, it was just you know there was an organization called the Board of American Missions that you know tried to spread new churches and new neighborhoods and so on and so mm. forth. And it was at a time when racial animosity was starting to percolate a little bit in Gary. Mm. And um, so it was an interesting time to be there. Mm. But anyway, I can remember, getting back to the issue about when I first encountered God, you know, saying my prayers every night where you would have three or four prayers that you'd, you know, say every night before you went to bed. And the church was right next to the parsonage again in Gary, both had been built after my dad got there. And so, and it was right behind the elementary school where I went. And one of the, one of the profound geographic um, circumstances in Gary was there's sand everywhere. Abs- you know, it was just, it's at the south end of uh, Lake Michigan and everything was sandy. Our backyard was sandy, you know. So the, the lake just delivered silt and sand right, exactly. to the whole area. So, but it wow. made the, the houses filthy, you know. <laughs> anyway. How, no, that's interesting. And was it good soil? Could you grow stuff there? Well, I mean, dad, you're a gardener now. Yeah, I, mean, you, I don't know. Looking know back I, my on, dad probably had, he probably brought in black dirt, I'm sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so you lived at the Parsonage then. The Parsonage is right. a house. Char- Parsonage is a house, and yeah, there were two bedrooms. It was the second, second floor. How many there, siblings again? I'm sorry, do you have at this point? At the, I have my brother. Just your brother. Or do you have any other siblings? Yes, I have you? a sister who was born in 1955, which was at the tail end of our our sojourn in in Gary. Okay. But um, so you have about your first ten years or eight years of life or something are well, in. Are in so Gary. I, I was a, yeah I was it was fourth grade when we moved I was so. Oh my gosh! Right, so it's a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so so then you're saying prayers. What was your father like at home then? I mean, was he? I mean, you know. Well, the I, office was was at home, and you know, he was it was you know he was he was always around because he didn't go anywhere. The church is right next door, so that he had an office in the house and and uh, you know uh, worship services over at the church. Was he a soft power kind of leader, or was he somebody that was like very? Could he get very passionate about? No, he's a soft power. Yeah, he. I mean, he was uh, very reasonable, you know, and I think I came to know him as pretty liberal, uh, you know, um, pretty uh, pragmatic. I, I think is the better way to put it. So that he did what needed to be done without any um, 
doctrinal restrictions. Hmm. So he felt. So he was I'm liberal in the sense putting, that putting words in his head. Well, but. you know, but what you're saying is, is you sort of saw him as someone that didn't necessarily always live by the book in some way. Like he he was a devoted leader, but he well, was also he he made people welcome no matter what their religious backgrounds. Yeah, you know, special. and and, and uh, probably at that time also right. probably uni- exactly. unique. Right. I imagine. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a good place to stop for for the for the quick break, okay. and then All we're right. gonna jump right back in. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's it. That's segment one. That's how fast it goes. We'll see you right back here. We're back with Dr. Ronald Peterson. Um, and so we're just going to jump back into you have one, another major move as you're growing up. Your father moves to Madison, Wisconsin. Right. And so tell me what happens there and why he moves there. Well, he was starting a new mission there. Okay. And uh, there was a church downtown called Central Lutheran Church. And they were going to have another Augustana church in a new neighborhood, which is called Meadowood. And it was on the far outskirts of the city. I can remember visiting Madison as a child, and they had a parade of homes. And uh, we visited that, and there was one home that was just spectacular, you know, that had a finished basement. And, mm, and Right, that's a big deal. And it uh, had a tile basement and so on and so forth. And actually, it turned out to be that that would be the perfect place to have as a parsonage because you could use the basement as a worship space once the church was organized. And in fact, the Board of American Missions did purchase the house, and it was great. We had three bedrooms. Uh, The school wasn't built yet. We had to take a Badger bus down to the Nakoma Elementary School, which is about five, six miles away, and and so it was a great place to... So so you you would be... So is your father... Called by the organization to move. He's is that what the, happens? It's, there's the, he's in Gary and he gets a call and he's right. like, "You got to go." There was, a, there was an organization called the Board of American Missions, which went around strategically to figure out where it would be good to place new ministers and develop new congregations. And the Central Lutheran Church was interested in doing that and actually had some members in the area that could provide. Uh, foundational members for this new congregation. Okay. And, and so that's what they did. We moved there in 56. The new church was organized in 1957. The services were in our basement. Until the church could be built. Until the church could be built. Uh, my so you're living in a house where, I mean, how many services is he doing a week? Well, I mean, is it, it's not just one on Sundays. Well, it's, be, it's, he's probably doing yeah, but that'd things be, in that'd the middle be of the during, week. That would be during Lent and, and Advent, but most mostly... And I can't remember if we had one or two. I think we had two services at that time, as I remember. But, but is he running um, community things also throughout the week? You well, know, it's interesting. In I mean, you're, you're trying to establish a new church there. And it was an element of pride for him if he could beat the milkman to huh. the... Because there were two competing dairies, Bancroft and Bowman. And they welcomed new people. My dad got stuff from the Chamber of Commerce. And he tried to welcome new people before the milk companies got there. And uh, wow! And you know, the, 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 so you'd have an idea of who was coming in when because the you know the realtors had that information out. My dad would be somebody to mel- welcome them and say that you know we have this church here. Where's the the, the Catholic church with Saint Maria Goretti? The where's this the congregational church is here? So it was not necessarily. But you know, in this in these this day and age, you know, who comes to your door 
and proselytizes. You don't anymore. No I mean, that, way. It, I mean, but, it's a fascinating but, you time. Know, but my dad... He's like a salesman. Well, yeah. My dad would be make, you know, and well, this is a metric for the Board of American Missions. How many calls are you making? Wow. I mean, and, this is true salesman type right. statistics. And so, because, and, and growth was very important because there is a... You know, a financial investment, right, revenue, and, and so on and so forth. So. Right, right. Because then there's, I don't, you wouldn't call it tithing, probably. And it but. was, you know, and it was uh, an issue because Meadowood, specifically at that time, uh, did not become the growing suburb. There was another area of Madison that grew earlier. So I think, I don't know this, but I think there was some pressure from the Board of American Missions that uh, you know to that you need to produce. So what are your, what are you? What are you learning as a child at this time, right? Like there's, I feel like I'm getting kind of two, two strong impressions, right? One is a very kind of sensible businessman. Like clearly your father was just an incredible organizer. Essentially he's a producer of this, of this, of this organization. He, he produces the show. He gets the people involved. He's going around drumming up the money. He's, you know, these are kind of like entertainment terms for this, but he's essentially bringing all these people together under, obviously, a very missionary zeal of, on, on behalf of God, but he's putting together a show. He's bringing together the community so that he has his weekly worship. And so you're seeing kind of a business sense. How is that? How well, you did become, that... As a child, you become very invested in the success of how many people are coming and so on and so forth. And again... right. Uh, it's more bi- you're almost seeing so you, the business the church more is, than that. well but it, it was no there's a worship there you know it was it was an interesting set of circumstances uh, because you know my mother would always make Sunday dinner which of course is right simultaneously by the time with one of the services and people would come up the stairs and mm, it smells pretty good right. think, we should, think we should stay you know my so brother she's always making extra my for... brother and I would as we cleaned the basement would arrange the chairs, you know, for the Sunday service the next day. So and and uh, wow. so that the metrics were very important, and we were a key element of the youth program, the only youth program. Oh, of course. You know, because you know, confirmation class ours was five, and you know, it, so that it, you sort of assume a responsibility to be a leader. You're like a deputy leader yeah, exactly. uh, under your father, right, who's exactly. also guiding right. this. And you know, I can well. remember I usually sat in the front, you know, row just to the left, you know. <laughs> so are you? Do you? You're, but you're not talking. I don't. What's interesting is, and I'm sure you will talk about this, but you're not expressing a lot of uh, devotion to the literature or to the word to some extent. How how much are you as a child invested in the word and the spirit of what he's talking about? You're talking a lot about, which is a, which is right. understandable. Okay. You're talking about like the business aspect of right. it, growing the numbers, right. uh, helping your father facilitate the it's job. Really not, that that it's really not until you get to confirmation where you start learning about the, you know, the gospel and so on and so forth. Were you punished or anything for being out of line or, no. you know, you were just first of all, I guess it sounds like you were just a very do, you were How very we, obedient. You we were never pa- spanked or anything like that. You know, it was. It were was, you an obedient group of siblings? Yeah, I, you know, I, I normal. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, right. my brother and I fought, and you know, so we, yeah, we, uh, but I, you know, we, uh, you know, it was just normal kids growing up. Yeah. So you're so around confirmation. You said you're you're. Well, confirmation is when you learn all you know the cat, Luther's catechism, the small and the, and the large catechism, and 
you know, they had questionings at that time where you'd go in front of the whole congregation, you'd answer questions that you had to memorize, and and uh, so that yeah, you to be confirmed, you had to have some uh, some education, and and uh, so we. Yeah, but I mean, so that's not a big deal for you. You know this by heart, right. you know. Um, okay, so and you had mentioned that your grandmother wanted you to be had sort of hoped that you would follow my grandmother. Your father's was, my footsteps. grandmother, my 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 uh, dad's mother was an incredible person. For example, when they were building the first building, they could not get a loan from a bank because hmm. there were not enough people. Uh, this is in 1957, 58. They didn't hand it out. My grandmother uh, got uh, four other farmers together, and they put their their assets together wow. to guarantee a loan of $25,000, $5,000 a piece. Wow. That then the which is a lot of money at that time. Which, right. Which, and the, I mean, the, still a lot of money today. The, the, the church cost 53000 I remember. And so that that's what, she, you know, they were called mission partners. But that's the kind of person she was. Wow. You know. They, I mean, these are some really skilled... Devout, skilled. devout uh, people who were put their money where their beliefs were. Right, and skilled organizers. Right. I mean, right. uh, you come from a long line of educated people. Right. Right. Uh, and I only say that because, you know, my, my grandfather, uh, my great-grandfather, you know, they came over and they worked on the railroad. Uh, and so they're very blue-collar and um, and very devoted and, you know, hardworking and built, built up beautiful families and things. But you come from a leadership set of... of of generations, it seems like. Um, and did you, my mother is Dutch, and so they can trace their history back really far. Can you trace your history back pretty far? Yes, through back to about the 1860s yeah. or so. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. And, you know, the, the original settler there who bought all the farms and the land, uh, you know, was a John Peterson. Mm. And uh, one of his sons, for example, went to Vienna to study. He was a musician. And he ultimately came back to Augustana, which is where I went as a Swedish Lutheran College in Rock Island. He directed the Hannibal Oratorio Society. And this is about 1900, 1915, 1916. Mm. So these are talented people. So we were talking a little bit at the break about the term PK. Yeah. I mean, what does PK mean? Preacher's kid. Preacher's kid. I was making the joke that I thought it was like penalty kick. Doesn't feel like that applies. But um, so now... Can you start talking about, like, what does that mean to you as you're growing into being a teenager, you're growing into high school, you're now growing into independence? I mean, at that age, too, this generation, independence, we still talk about being a teenager and having independence, but independence from, from most of the people that I talk to of, the, of my parents or grandparents' generation, you know, independence happens even earlier at that age, right? You have to be getting your mind together on how you're going to support yourself much earlier. I was a student. And uh, studied hard and uh, was quite active, you know, in drama and so on and so forth and choir and Oh, band, wow. So you were a performer. And band cool. and, at uh, West High School. Cool. And so, uh, um, you know, so that was kind of, and conventional. I mean, you know, didn't rebel, was uh, in, uh, involved in the youth group, which is called Luther League. And, and it was actually a, a leader in the state organization where we had meetings that went all over the state and so on and so forth. So and then I then I ended up going to Augustana, which is a Swedish Lutheran college in Rock Island, Illinois, which at that time was uh, a college for the whole Augustana Lutheran Church. And about fifty percent were from the local area, that being uh, 
Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin, and 50% from all over the country. Mm. Um, and uh, it was a great school. And uh, uh, remained real active there and uh, uh, took religion. I mean, it, part of the, it was not a real conservative school, but they had chapel twice a week. You weren't required to go. Um, Fascinating. But, uh, and religion, you had four religion classes. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament, and then the religions of the world and one other elective. So that religion was part of your core curriculum. Um, you know, and I remember our particular religion professor, bless his heart, he, he always loved sort of uh, uh, sticking it to you as far as the lessons go because, you know, all these people had been to Sunday school all the time. He liked disrupting their assumptions Huh. And and uh, sticking them a little bit so that it kind of be a real challenge to their faith, and that was sort of how it started. Huh. Okay. And and so, what does that mean to you? So is that the first time you're challenged? Well, uh, yes. Like, I mean, it, you know, I mean, you certainly you you learn about the books of the Bible. You learn, uh, yeah. You you start to think about things in a in a different way. No question. About well, it. let me ask you. I guess I haven't even established this. I mean, are you a practice? Do you still practice as a Lutheran today? Absolutely. Yeah. So you so you've. Uh, I mean, I was president of the church council, and you know, very very conventional, and. Uh, um, you know, so yes, and I go every. I think I'm the only one of our siblings who still do, but I go oh, every Sunday. You know, every every Sunday, and and. Uh, so do you? Um, did you watch? Uh, you know, so you you find you continue to find a sense of uh, home and kind of peace and comfort in right. the church and the, the our church the ritual. Is a, our church and, is a very socially active church. Yeah, that does lots of mission. It has my wife, uh, who was a social worker uh, after being a German teacher. You know, uh, was at a halfway house that that where church bought bought a home, and has had uh, women that would needed housing, and and she was the one who helped manage them through that transition, and she did that for 10, 15 years. So the the, the church has has uh, very active kinds of programs and. Used to be in in in, in uh, Bangladesh, now, wow. in, now in India, so that they kind of they are they are socially very active in their in their ministries, and that that feel real comfortable with that. What did you? How did you respond to your siblings? You sort of mentioned your siblings, like as you watched your trajectory start to unfold, as you become, you know, in your twenties at this point, and you start to see you have a younger brother and a younger sister, and you said they don't practice anymore. But that's now. I mean, that's now. That's much later in right, life. Right, they practiced for a long time. Right, Did right. they have children as well? Um, my sister has two daughters. Okay, two so daughters. so they kind of, but for many many years while your father was still alive, oh. I have I don't know when your father died, but um, at ninety. So in, in ninety, at ninety years of age. Oh, okay. So what year is that? Nineteen ten. Oh, okay. So he died 2010. in two thousand. Twenty ten. Oh, twenty ten. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real disruption as far as uh, the family lived in a sort of cohesion as far as your as far as the faith that you maintain. You would you would right. You you know, know, there, there's mean, no disruption. At, you know, with when your I graduated father. from college, uh, you know, my attention turned to my career. I was going to be a doctor, and uh, met my wife, who is from Omaha. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yes. Did I? I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Well, although I, I did know that, although I had forgotten uh, today when I met, saw and, her again. And, and originally I was going to... I knew be, that because Amy had told me that yeah, a long time ago. I was ago. originally going to be an internal medicine doctor. And then uh, on Christmas uh, vacation, we'd go to Omaha for a couple weeks, and Bill, Kathy's dad, was an obstetrician. Oh, wow. How about that? I practiced at Clarkson. Okay. And the University of Nebraska, and was quite an icon Okay. And so he had arranged a clerkship so that I'd spend my time being introduced to obstetrics at the hospital overnight and so on and so forth for about two weeks during my Christmas vacation. And I would scrub with him, you know, on, uh, as an assistant on uh, very hysterectomies and various surgery. And so that was my introduction to obstetrics. And I liked it. Yeah. It, uh, and I liked it because it gave you a little bit of everything because, you know, uh, I love doing the obstetrics. I love the medicine part of the obstetrics, the high-risk obstetrics. Um, the surgery was not all that complicated, and, and that was that was cool. And you were sort of at the ethical forefront also of medicine with a lot of ethical issues up and down and contraception and so on and so forth. So I really liked that. And then I so uh, that altered my career trajectory and put me at the University of Michigan where I did my OB training. So I did not think that I would go into this, but... I was on a show called Masters of Sex, which referenced Masters and Johnson, yep, yep. Uh, and I didn't put it together that you would have that would have been influential to you at the time. I imagine, right? Like yep, that was very yep. that was kind well, of they, you know they, well they, you know they did sexual desensitization. We took some of those courses during medical school, Kathy and I. And, right, and, right. Uh, yeah, it was because I mean he's older than you, but right. Uh, but so you would have been you know f- as a student, kind of following maybe a decade behind right. most of his landmark sort of stuff, right? So you're so by that time, it's filtered into the training to some extent. The stuff that people wanted to filter into the training had started to filter into the training. Right. So you right. were influenced by them to some extent. Yeah. This is interesting. Actually, you know what? This is a great place to take a, a break, uh, and we'll come back for the third segment with Dr. Peterson in just a second. Thanks. Hi, everybody. We're back with the final segment here with Dr. Ron Peterson. And the question as we start into more of the deeper spirituality stuff of where you are today, do you feel like you hold the same spirituality as your father or the way you were raised or how has it evolved over the years? And you were speaking about that through certain reading that you've done throughout your life, you found you've been very You've taken some deep impressions, and I'm not sure what those are, so please speak to that. So it relates to my obstetrics as well. One of the things I really like to do is I read a lot. And uh, that some, sounds beautiful. Sometimes I'll read 70 I don't read eight, as much now that I have 70 to 80 books a year. <laughs> wow. And wow, 70 80 books a year is wow, and, and extraordinary. Because I get a, a, a lot of time. The other thing that I do is I, uh, I'm a really avid consumer of the great courses, which are lectures that are given by professors that are among the best professors in the in the world actually are you saying that the, the series is called the great courses they call the great courses and if their business model is such that they employ professors that do lectures of 12 18 24 36 on every subject imaginable and they're fabulous. and these are and, and and so you can like you buy them online or something is the deal? you can either get them online or, um, you know, you can get DVDs. I tend to get the DVDs. 
They have transcripts. They have summaries. And so you can watch them, or you can listen to them exactly. in a car or and something. You, however you, you want know, to take the, it in. It's a, they've got it online now, so that anytime you can get access to a computer, you can listen to them. But they're on everything. You know, evolution, how, how long has that paleontology. Been oh, it's been. I've been doing it for fifteen years. Wow. And they're fabulous. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Paleontology, no. all this. I mean, it, it, so anything and, you, you know, want the to one thing that to. medicine does is it focuses you very early in your intellectual, where you're doing chemistry, biochemistry, and so on and so forth. And it really doesn't allow you to complete the diversity of education you'd like to have. Mm. And so I. Uh, in addition to reading, I, I really listen to these great courses, and I think I'm their best customer. I must have about 60 or 70 of them. That's amazing. They give me, and I don't haven't read, haven't listened to them all, but I've read, listened to lots of them. Yeah. And and it's uh, and the you're thing, still an avid student, right? And and that's what I am doing in retirement, mm. it, because it's so cool the things that you learn that have happened and that have been learned since I graduated from college. I graduated mm. from college in 1969. The amount of, of knowledge that has occurred and uh, unraveled in that time, unbelievable. Mm. And, it, and it kind of, you know, it, it, it sort of all hangs together in, in a way, in paleontology, evolutionary studies, age of the earth, and religion. And, you know, one of the things that I, uh, uh, author that I uh, read was Dr. Bart Ehrman. Now, Dr. Ehrman uh, is currently the chairman of the Department of uh, Religion at the University of North, North is Carolina. Is that like EHR? EHR, M-A-N. M-A-N. Mm-hmm. And his background and mine are somewhat similar, I could really identify, in that he grew up in a very conservative biblical uh, family. He uh, went to the Moody Bible Institute, which, again, is quite conservative. And then to complete that thought, he got his degree at Wheaton which is, again, a very conservative, uh, literalist Bible type of, uh, of college. And he always felt, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of taking this from the, the foreword of, of one of his books, but he always felt like the, the liberal uh, uh, theologians and, and theology schools never gave them any respect. Hmm. And so he was going to correct that. And so he got, went to Princeton for his graduate studies, and his particular area of interest was in biblical studies hmm. and bibli- original biblical texts. And so he would go back, and, and he became an expert on the Gnostic texts and the, and the original manuscripts of the Bible. And what he found, right for those people that don't remember or don't or aren't aware, the Bible has taken many, many iterations over the years. Different books have been excised. You know, the Bible we have today that we refer to as the Bible is has lost different pieces of religious uh, literature because it was felt that it wasn't applicable or they didn't think it streamlined well. And one of them is the Gnostic Bible, right. the, Gnost- the Gnostic like, Gospels, which were buried. Yeah, and but at any rate. There was no publishing done, of course, in the early Gospels. The way that the that things happened was monks would copy <laughs> the various books of the Bible from one to the, the next. Sure. And mistakes would be made. Hmm. Or people would make editorial comments or add things. Or even in one case, there was a... Uh, 
an ink that bled through to the other side of the of the page and completely changed the meaning of the word. And so that as you go back through the various texts in history, it wasn't until uh, you know the Middle Ages that there was any complete uniformity because of the process. And for some, if, you know, for somebody who believes in an inerrant Bible where every word is something, that's a problem. Right. And so, and that's just the first of many books that he has, you know, produced. And I, and I, you know, he, he talks about uh, the gospel and Jesus and the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he actually has a number of courses in the Great Courses also. So that I, you know, I must say that that uh, many of the the uh, that was the the impetus for me to delve back into history and corroborate that. The other thing that I learned in my reading, just general reading, is that the story that you learn about a particular person, historical person, or about a particular horror, you know, historical circumstance, ain't necessarily what happened. Mm. And in fact, that history is a lot more complicated and um, dirty than people realize. For example, in, you know, in Jamestown, when Jamestown was settled, uh, they were terrible. The Indians... And I mean, the settlers were awful to the Indians, massacred them at various points in time, dismembering them. Ugh. You know, so that you know, you start to and the same thing in uh, in in the Plymouth Colony, right? The uh, so that you start to realize that the story that you learn in history about various personalities or situations aren't the whole story. And that caused me to reflect, well, gee, wonder how does that apply to religious history? And you start to realize that, that uh, the stories that you uh, have learned, in, like Noah and, uh, and uh, Adam and Eve and so on and so forth, I mean, the, the, uh, that relates, you know, about three, three or 4,000 B.C., and man has been around for hundreds of thousands of years when you have Neanderthal and you kind of, you know, you have to start to say, wait a minute, what's truth? You know, exactly who's got this story right here? And so that started a lot of thinking and, and you know, I really delved into ancient civilizations where, you know, there, there were many civilizations, you know, that, dating back mainly to 10,000 B.C. that predated Noah and, and Adam and Eve. And, and you start to realize that there are natural explanations for many of the, of, of the uh, things that are in the Bible. For example, I mean, the, the earliest writing is the cuneiform writing in the Sumer, which dates to about 3100 B.C., and that was um, the, uh, you know, the, usually to substantiate business transactions. You know, th there have been changes in climate that have been going on for eons, you know, and and the the levels, sea levels have gone up and down by hundreds of feet that allow migrations to occur or civilizations to be lost, and so you start to wonder now what is what is true. For example, Noah's flood. Noah's flood happened at about 5800 B.C., and it's at a time when the North American glaciers were. Melting, and there was a there was a, a a warm period, and it was very dry around the 
Buxton Lake, the, the, the Black Sea, was originally a freshwater lake, and it was at a time of climate change when the area around Palestine and Ur and where Abram had come from was very dry. There was, there was drought. And so consequently, the civilized people of the world con you know, concentrated around the Euxin Lake. And the Euxin Lake was a freshwater sea, a fresh, freshwater lake. This is in, is it in between the Tigris and the Euphrates? Is it right in no, that area? No, it's the Black Sea. No. Oh, it's Black it's Sea. It's the Black okay. Sea, okay. right from Constantinople. Okay, okay. Okay. And so what happened was that the glaciers in North America drained through the Mississippi and St. Lawrence, raised the levels of the, of the seas, and broke through the Dardanelles, flooding the Black Sea 400 feet vertically and hundreds and hundreds of miles laterally. Huh. And so that these civilizations that were congregated there had to move, and that was the great that was the great flood. And you said, "Well, uh, how do you know that?" Well, you, from uh, the uh, there have been people that have uh, from Woods Hole that have done dives into the Black Sea, and you can actually see where it happened. In other words, below a certain level, the shoreline is much smaller. And those mollusks and so on and so forth were freshwater. Hmm. Laterally, higher up, you can see that all of a sudden the mollusks and the and the animal life and so on and so forth were seawater. Right. And so that all the so you're seeing the geological evidence. So you're so you're seeing and it all hangs together. Yeah. So that and this is 5800 BC, which yeah. is at the which was predated writing by. 3,000 years. Right, right. And so this would have been carried down as a or an oral tradition that the various civilizations which followed one upon another upon another as oral traditions. Yes. And so that you, at a time when the Bible says you've got Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and I can remember as you compare, you know, your mind being kind of compartmentalized, well, where's the woman? You know, they've right. only got three or four, and you're thinking, well, wait a minute. There are hundreds of thousands of people at that time. Yes, not three or four. <laughs> yes. And so you you know you start to realize how you compartmentalize the you know the lessons that you've learned and look at history in a completely different way and say no no this you know I don't buy this stuff anymore. Mm. You know that so that it so then where do you where does your faith come down when you when your faith in the scriptures and the old stories are seen in a different light? Great question. Where do they come down? Well, that's it's a continual struggle, and it you know I, I think that um, I I feel comfortable. Uh, I, you know I you know is there a God? Is this is this all an accident? I you know as you get into the details of evolution, it's hard for me to think it's an accident. Hard for you to think it's an accident. That it's an accident. Yeah. There are so many things that and steps that have happened that I could have. There's, you know, there's... Well, there's... I ev evolution, yeah. there's no question in my mind as a scientist, is the way that the, that the world and nature changes. But, you know, there, we're still finding things that are unbelievably re revolutionary. There's a thing called the archaeon, which is a type of acellular, anuclear organism, which has just been sort of understood in the last... Totally. This is like archaeic acid. Archaic acid. Archaeon. 
Okay. So it's, you know, the, the process of, of life and genetics and so on and so forth is such that the ribosome, you know, you have DNA and C, G, A, and so on and so forth, and, and all these things have to fit, and then they translate proteins into, into tissues and so on and so forth, and you think, how the, it's hard, I mean, they make the case that this all happens step by step, and perhaps it did, but it's it's. It, but the question is: Is there an animating force well, yeah. behind the I mean, steps? It, exactly. And you know, the views of civilizations at times change radically in short periods of time. So who's to say there aren't parallel dimensions? Or there's so you don't. In my mind, you can't eliminate all the possibilities that we don't know because the next new discovery may contravene or contradict. Your, the doubts that you have about the existence of God is, act, is active in the world. So I, This is wonderful stuff. Uh, I don't want to derail this into my own stuff too much, but I, I have only recently in my life over the last five years really put together all of this research as well, all of this old historical research, which I also needed to do. Where, where did humans come from? This sort of early Genesis story doesn't seem to make sense. And I started piecing all this together, which is why, thankfully, I was able to follow much of your very, very deep historical research, which clearly is like very dense and for some people might be hard to follow. A lot of people don't know some of these things, but I know this timeline that you're talking about. But it's great to hear. And I loved how you let it unfold. It was very erudite. But I, my question is, when you talk about the struggle, is it, are you still struggling with um, Jesus Christ as, as the son of God? Or are you... Have you sort of been able to kind of let that live in a place of, since you're putting everything else in historical context, you are probably trying to put Jesus in historical context. And is that a struggle for you? Or is the larger struggle, it seemed like what you were referencing wasn't Jesus in particular or specifically, it was more you were referencing, is there a God force? Is there a God that wants us specifically to be where we are and used evolution? This was kind of the intelligent design Argument, all, right? All of the above. Okay, yeah. In that, you know, who was Jesus? Right. You know, was he the son of God? Yeah. And what does that mean? It mean it meant a different thing in the times of Rome because being the son of a God was not all that unusual. Okay, right. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah, no, of course. We and, have the... the and, we have, uh, and so, I mean, there are different worldviews at a particular time. Polytheism. Yeah. So, I mean, Mark in the gospel says that Jesus became the son of God at the time of his baptism. And remember the dove came down? Uh-huh. Mark. Well, Mark the, is the earliest gospel, too. Earliest this, is the, gospel, this is like the most the, original right. we can get. And there's a quotum at the end of Mark that who knows where it came from because it doesn't fit with the the rest of the the book. And most and, scholars, as I think that what I've discovered is that most people, the earliest they'll put Mark is about like 30 years after Jesus died, exactly. right? Like 60 AD, right. Exactly. right? So like at the earliest they'll give Mark is it was written 30 years after Jesus was crucified right. by their by timeline. Then you have Matthew and Luke, right, who have totally incompatible birth stories. Right. <laughs> who um, believe that Jesus became the son of God at birth or at conception because you remember that you have the annunciation to Mary who the angel tells her that it will be the Son of God. Mm -hmm. Matthew, the similar story. Mm -hmm. John 
totally different. Yeah, right. Who is the, written the last, who said that God or that Jesus pre-existed all that. Right. So what do you believe? I mean, you know, Jesus was an apocalyptic preacher who did not understand himself and never claimed to be the Son of God. Right. Well, so, yeah, that that's uh, obviously a uh, point of great contention depending on who you're talking to. But right. yes, it doesn't seem no, he, he, that he, if you're going to judge by the early stuff. I mean, right, I mean, stuff, well, if you go by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yeah, that's John. what I'm saying. Is that Forget John. Some, yeah, right, because then you get into the magical realism stuff of like John and, right. and Jesus but knows Matthew, what he Mark, is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, Jesus makes no claims to be the Son of God. He's the Father. Right. But, and it is his view that the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning now. Right, yeah. It was he, exactly like you said, apocalyptic. Like, it's coming soon. Right. And to repent and, and so on and so forth. That's a different message than you get in John later. Yes. And so that the early church struggled with, who was Jesus anyway? Right. This is the, the, the historical Jesus is one that I, I um, studied in, in college. This was during my attempt at trying to understand and... You know, Mary being a uh, devoted uh, Christian and and um, and the fact that some of these things were falling apart for me uh, is that you could kind of get behind the idea of him as a revolutionary. And then you can start to get into like, um, you know, uh, uh, it's not called revolutionary theology, but it's called liberation theology. So you get started to get into that stuff. And I, I, I studied uh in the Dominican Republic for like a semester in college and did was sort of under the, under the auspices of a sort of liberation theology um, idea. But eventually, so then you can kind of celebrate his revolutionary idea, but, but, but then it's kind of like what you're also forgetting is like it's, he was apocalyptic, which is a different thing than just revolutionary. Right. Um, and so, he, he predicted the end of times. So he yeah. thought it was coming right then, yeah. right during the Roman Empire. And, yeah. then, and then, you know, the church has had to reset its message and goals and thoughts periodically, both Judaism and Christianity, because it didn't happen. So that, by the way, that was awesome. I have only so much time left. So I want to ask you a question. Where then, you, all, you talk about the struggle of this. You clearly are such a deep thinker and researcher on this. Where do you find then that, where do you find the most sense of like peace and spirit where is your faith and spirituality the most comfortable or the most resonant to you um do you tend to leave you research these things as historical search but it sounds like maybe you leave it at a certain point and there's a corporateness to the church that i think is important you know, I, I important in what way? Well, I you know I think it gives the church meaning, I, and I think Jesus did have a revolutionary thought, which is do unto others as you would do unto you know yes the golden rule yes, which is different than many other religions and the assumptions right, and so that I think that's the essence. The, but I you know the the problems I have with with Christianity particularly are the exclusivistic. Um, claims it makes, um, because I don't think that that's accurate. And I think that historically it's necessary for religious groups to maintain that they are the only way, just as a proselytizing kind of thing. Right. But, you know, who's... Cohesion, the, group cohesion. cohesion and it, it created community and safety and ex exactly. trust. But I think there are more than just the way of, of Christianity. 
And and I think you know it's there's there's a currently a morality play going on before our our, our eyes when we're talking about global warming, mm. because uh, you know it's it's like the people during Noah's flood, none of which wanted to believe that there was a catastrophe on the way, mm. and who did not make any preparations. The same thing is happening right now, mm. and and. Um, you know, they, they believe it in Europe because they're at 115 degrees right now. Yes. So that... Well, uh, we've been up... I've, I live in North Hollywood in the Valley, and, and last year we got... I saw my car temperature went up to 130 at one point. Right. So that that's a concern I have. But, I mean, you have a small child. I have grandkids. Yeah. You know, you try to think of their life when we are ignoring what is in front of our face without the urgency... Because, you know, this is an incredible time we live in. There are so many, you know, scientific capabilities. We understand so much. We have the resources. And all we need is the will and and uh, the unification of purpose that we had like in World War II. Yeah, right, when, right. When they, when they, you know. You understood the enemy. Right. You understood the enemy and you mobilized every possible asset to conquer it. Ah, oh, man. This is great stuff. I think I have to say goodbye. Uh, Ron, thanks for coming in, man. This was really great. Thanks, it was fun. Uh, I really appreciate it. I thought this was beautiful. It's um, You offered uh, some really extraordinary perspective on a lot of stuff. And as a lover of history, we got to go down a deep, deep dive in a lot of different ways. Uh, so I, I deeply appreciate it. And um, thank you all for listening.